My purpose in writing is to encourage you and assure you that what you are experiencing is truly part of God's grace for you. Stand firm in that grace. Greet each other with a kiss of love. Peace be with all of you who are in Christ. I'm a fantastic teacher. <laughs> you know, I don't say that about myself. Others say that. Um, so <laughs> uh, just want to greet those of you that have joined us online. Apparently about 800 of you join us live on the weekends now, and uh, we're excited that you're, you're here. We want to also greet uh, the church inside, uh, those incarcerated in uh, all the different prisons where Cornerstone has community groups. And let's all get our Bibles open to 1 Peter chapter 2, where we're studying a letter written by the second most famous person in the New Testament. The second most per famous person in the New Testament is Peter. Who's the most famous person in the New Testament? Jesus. You got that one. If you said Jesus, that was right. Um, and as you know, in church, if anyone asks you a question from up front and you answer one of these three things, Jesus... God or love, you're going to get an 80% rate of, of being correct. Jesus, God, or love is the answer to every church question uh, other than 20% of them. All right, so Peter, the second most famous person in the New Testament, he is mentioned most in the New Testament other than Jesus. He is addressed most by Jesus. He is definitely uh, lifted up by Jesus as being uh, a really amazing person. You know, there's a couple of times when Jesus... Uh, you know, puts Peter in his place, and then there's this time when P Peter uh, denies Jesus. And so preachers love to harp on those uh, and, and completely ignore the fact that this is an absolutely amazing person who wasn't perfect. And uh, he becomes one of the key leaders uh, in the, the, the New Testament church. And this is his book, First uh, Peter, written about 30 to 32 years after the ascension of Christ. And so Peter now is an old man writing, uh, not from Jerusalem, but from Rome, uh, to uh, the citizens uh, that are following after Jesus in what we know of as Turkey. Now, last weekend, uh, Peter challenged us to grow up, that it was time to grow up. And it's such a good challenge, especially with his tone of voice, because it took Peter a while to grow up, so he's gonna be patient with those of us that uh, are still uh, perpetuating our adolescence. Can I get an amen for any of us who plan to grow up someday, but others say that we haven't done that yet. And uh, so Peter says, I want you guys now to grow up, and especially to grow up in the faith. This weekend, he's gonna invite us to be built up. Chapter two, starting with verse four. As you come to him, the living stone, Rejected by humans, but chosen by God and precious to him. You also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For in scripture it says, look, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and precious cornerstone. The one who trusts in him will never, ever, ever, ever be put to shame. Now to you who believe, this stone is precious. 
But to those who do not believe, the stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone and a stone that causes people to stumble and a rock that makes them fall. They stumble because they disobey the message, which is also what they were destined for. And then we'll dip our toes into next week's text, for you are a chosen people. All right, so we got to get moving because every single phrase here is a sermon. And I've been known to uh, attack it like that. And I got to get you out of here because there's probably like a football game on or something. Uh, but So let's go back to the first phrase of verse 4. Look at your Bibles. What's the first phrase of verse 4? As you come to him. As you come to him. As you come to him. And last weekend we ended the service by celebrating communion and the fact that Jesus came. And if Jesus hadn't come, we wouldn't be here today. There wouldn't be such thing as a church. We would still be back in the Old Testament days where the best we could do is to have our priests purify themselves and then kind of fearfully tiptoe into the presence of God with our sacrifices and, and with worship. Well, we all just stood outside. We didn't have a personal relationship with God back then. If Jesus hadn't come, we would just have to depend on these crazy Old Testament prophets to, to, to tell us what God was saying and to believe that they really heard from God and, 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 that, this, and that, that we were supposed to do what God said, but we couldn't personally hear from God. But then God came and common people heard his voice. When Jesus came for the Son of the Most High came to us, he came with powerful words mixed with compassionate uh, miracles and gracious gestures uh, towards people that religion had actually already rejected. He came revealing the Father and revealing to us surprisingly that the Father was not at all like what we thought he was. That the Father was a loving Father. That, that, uh, and so Jesus spends his earthly days revealing God the Father to us. And then on that final weekend, he set his face toward Calvary. Where he pays this price. His own blood shed. His own life uh, ebbs from his body on that afternoon on the cross. And he's buried. And, he, he, and, then, and then on the third day, he comes back to life. To start telling us, he has opened a way for us. To, to, to be with the Father, not just in eternity, but, but now to be able to talk to the Father, to be able to know our Father. Of course, some of us grew up with, with dads that, as imperfect as they, as they were, they were, they were affectionate and it was really cool, but some of us grew up with the absolute opposite or with an absent dad who we hardly know at all. So the thought of being able to know God in this way is so appealing to us and that Jesus drew near us, or drew close to us, is, is just such a wonderful thought. But now Peter reverses it, and he says, well, since that happened, you should be drawing close to him. He drew close to you, and he's standing right there, and yet so many in the world just go right by, and they don't, they're just like, ah, I don't, maybe later, maybe I don't know, and, I, uh, and, 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 and I, I just find that so crazy that we have this opportunity to draw close to the Father, to Jesus, and, and how logical it is for us to do that, to say, Jesus, I have not got this whole thing figured out. I don't know if it's Adam and Eve or monkeys. I don't, know if it's, I don't know if it's Noah's Ark or that's just a story. I don't know if Jonah really got, I don't know all that. I don't know, but I believe you came and I believe you're real and I believe you're gonna help me sort that out. You're gonna help me sort that out because you created me and you're, you're the one who loves me. You're the one who came. You're the only God who came. And you know, when other gods in the Old Testament would come, they would, hit you with lightning, 
and you sacrifice your children to try to appease them or get them to, 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 for your crops to grow, for Pete's sake. But this God comes, he sacrifices his own son. Hmm, what a wonderful thought. We'd be foolish not to try to draw closer to Jesus. So Peter writes, I'm assuming that you're coming to him, is what he's saying in verse two. As you all come to him, the living stone he calls Jesus. A living stone, that's an oxymoron. Stones aren't organic. Uh, and yet Jesus is a living stone. And guess what? He's going to make you into living stones. And that's not possible either. God does the impossible. He says, as you come to Jesus, the living stone, something energizes. And, and I don't know what you picture there. I picture E.T. and the heart coming alive. Uh, uh, some, as you come to him, something, something comes online. Uh, and, and you're like, wait, what? I'm alive. And the closer you get to Jesus, you find life. He, we intentionally engage with a God who is alive, a God who was dead and is alive. And then as, as we engage with him, our deadness comes alive. And it's like uh, recharging a battery that someone said, well, that one's completely dead. You just need a new, you need a new one. And you're like, no, I, I need a renewed one. And we bring our, our dead selves to God. And then, and then, just like what happened on that Sunday morning in the, in the tomb, it happens to us as we come alive. And I don't know about you, but that's a really good thing. Not just the, the, the first time I said, to, said yes to Jesus, um, but even today, as I, you know, I woke up, I'm feeling a little bit of a head cold, and yet I start, you start talking to the Lord, and you just, it's like, wait, my life is in Christ. And... Uh, and, 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 and you, just, you, start to, you start feeling that, actually physically energized by the fact that, that Jesus is there re, uh, recharging my batteries. I don't know how it is for you, but my batteries seem to drain out a lot faster these days. And I don't, I don't think it's age. I think it's what's going on in the world. It's probably both. It's probably both. Man, if you look at Washington, D.C., or what's going on on a global scale, or you think about Sonoma County, or, I mean, I'm still thinking about Vegas and, and, and then Houston. I mean, it's almost like, it's just like, you know, and we're just standing in the ocean, and the wave sets are just hitting us, and you can't even get up before the next one hits, and, and it just seems like this has been an awfully long uh, wave set. Uh, and so, but Peter says, I got good news for you. All you I want, here's what I want you to do. I want you to come to Jesus and let him recharge you. So good on you today for, for joining us in church or for joining us online because you seemed to have known that that was, it was a beautiful fall day. But you seem to know, I need, I need to recharge. I need to be with the body of Christ. I need to be with the Lord. Um, come to Jesus. And then Peter says, he is Precious. Look at that word in your Bible. The living stone chosen by God and precious. Jesus is precious. There was a, a preacher in the, U, in the UK. Uh, he actually, uh, mainly in London, but all over, and he became world famous. He started preaching when he was 16 years old. His name is Spurgeon. You ever heard of Charles Spurgeon? A uh, very famous preacher uh, in his day. And uh, uh, his first sermon uh, was as a teenager. And his first sermon, he, he writes later, was from this text, 1 Peter 2, 7, that Jesus is precious. 
And he later said, I couldn't have preached any other sermon. I, actually, these are his words. Um, Christ was precious to my soul. I was in the flush of my youthful love for Jesus. I was infatuated with Jesus. I just couldn't be silent when Jesus was so precious. See, this isn't a kid who has found religion. This is a kid who has found Jesus. That's two completely different things. I was just so in love with him. I, the, when I said precious, I was just... And then in that sermon, he recounts, he asked the congregation a simple question. Can you imagine a teenager standing before you preaching, and you're just... The Holy Spirit is speaking to your heart. And then he turned to the congregation, and he asked him this question. Is, is Jesus precious to you? Yes or no? Is he precious to you? Because they could see that Jesus was precious to this young boy. He was on fire. But is he precious um, to you? And that question has, uh, I want to say haunted me this week, but it didn't haunt me at all. Uh, it, it, it embraced me this week. It hugged me this week. It held me this week. Uh, and is he precious to me? I, I told the Lord many times this week, you're precious to me. I, you know, Pastor Steve Engel uh, is home from Israel. He took a, a, a group on pilgrimage. And I love listening to Pastor Steve uh, pray. Because one of the things he almost always says when he prays is this phrase, Jesus we adore you. I've never heard a man pray like that. Jesus, we adore you. Oh, I love that word. It's like, Jesus, you're precious. You're wonderful. Um, and, and in our prayer, even, the way we address God, instead of, hey, God, I want this, I want that, or, hey, God, I'm sorry for this, I'm sorry for that, you know. Uh, hey, God, please. It's just like, hey, <sighs> can we just start this conversation by just saying how precious you are? You know, people know if something's precious to you. You don't have to tell them. They know. Uh, like uh, your fiance, your precious, he was your boyfriend. And then, you know, you went out to dinner and he was acting really weird and awkward and whatever. And you acted like you didn't know what was coming. And, and then he opens this box and you're just like, this is awesome. I really want to marry this guy. You know, you proposed to him three times already. And... Uh, <laughs> He's, he's old-fashioned. He's old-fashioned. And uh, then, you know, on goes the ring. And, 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 then, and it's weird because the ring actually has weight. You know, it's like, wow, you, wow. How, thank you. And uh, he goes, yeah, cubic zirconiums are just, they really, no, 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 no. It's like, wow. And what's interesting, the, the ring has weight, but somehow it lifts your hand up. I don't know how it does it, but you're just like everywhere you're walking around. <laughs> What? You know? Why? Because everybody knows how precious he is to me. You know, I was, th I was thinking about this wedding ring thought, and I remembered uh, uh, Brynn and I, uh, for, our, for my birthday, I just turned 60. So we decided, you know, to celebrate it with some rock stars. So, she, so we always, she always takes me somewhere on my birthday because I'm a selfish person, and my birthday needs to be special. And, and the only person I want to be with actually on my birthday is my wife. And... So, so we went to see U2 play in Phoenix. And we could have gone to Levi Stadium, but no. Uh, so we went to, and, and, but then, you know, you start to spend that money, and you're like, well, let's not just go to Phoenix. Let's do something else. So we went to Sedona as well. And if you've been there, oh, it's really cool. It's even cool for Christians. And because uh, uh, actually God created it. It's awesome. But, uh, 
So we were there in Sedona. Uh, Tyler, our youngest, and Kelly went along with us, and we were, we were, we were going uh, to, to the place. Uh, actually, there's a place where in the 1980s, a bunch of really freaky new age people gathered for a harmonic convergence. And if you don't know anything about that, you'll have to Google it. I don't have time. But it was just a crazy new age event where, and so they, there's this one place called the Vortex where a lot of them thought that's where heaven was going to meet earth or, or center earth was going to, I don't know what was happening there, but they stood in circles and, 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 uh, and harmonically converged. So anyway, we were going to go to this place because it's actually an extremely beautiful place. And so we, we go and we're just getting out of the car in the little parking lot and uh, and, and, I, and I, we had been hiking early in the day, so my hand was swelling a little bit. And I noticed this, so I, 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 pull, I was pulling off my wedding ring so that, you know, I could just put it in my pocket, and then later in the day, uh, you'll get it. Someday you'll be 60. But um, <laughs> anyway, <clears throat> off comes my ring, and it goes flying. Uh, and this is the most precious possession I own by far because uh, it represents the most precious person in my life. Okay, you get it. And I've had this for 38 years now, 37 years now. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> anywho. Uh, <laughs> and there it goes. And, and then we all go into slow motion because it's, it's not going down a mountain. We're on the flat parking lot, but it's headed toward this huge storm drain. And it's just like... And you know, always, if there's something bad that can happen, it magnetically pulls the most precious thing toward, and, and I'm just like, and so all of us went into slow motion. After I shrieked very loud, you know, I know slow motion, I'm like, the precious, you know, and, uh, and, and so everybody dove toward it, and then right before, I mean, right at the edge of the storm drain, it just rolled, and then it just went, boop, and it was fine. And then we went and picked it up, and then everyone laughed at me. My birthday. <laughs> but I guess I yelled really loud because when we got to the place where everyone was trying to harmonically converge, they were all mad at me. <laughs> I somehow broke the spell or something? I don't know. But anywho, precious. The word precious, what does it mean? Adored. Um, to be valued, not to be wasted. Uh, like when you're, you're hiking and you didn't take enough water. The water becomes precious. Um, the Cherished. And so the question for you is, is that how you feel about Jesus? I mean, do you still feel that way about him? And it's interesting because we can really fade on that. Just like a marriage can fade, we can really fade on how we feel about Jesus. And Jesus becomes almost like, and then we really like our life group, or we really like going to church, or we're really glad that our teenagers in the youth group. But the reason believers come to church is because of Jesus. And so I would wonder if you could say, hey, Jesus, I want to make you more precious. Between now and when we celebrate you, that you're coming at Christmas, during this last quarter of 2017, would you make yourself, would you, he can't make himself more precious. So what's the real problem here? Focus my mind, focus my heart on how wonderful you are, how beautiful you are, how precious you are to me. All right, let's look again at our text. We'll read verse four again just because it's awesome, but then we'll go into verse five. As you come to him, the living stone, rejected by humans, but chosen by God and precious to him, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Okay, so 
uh, both Peter and Paul do this, and they are the most prolific writers in the New Testament, Paul especially, um, but they both do this where they, they talk to us as if we are a building. You are a spiritual house, they say. And then they say, and the cornerstone of this building is Jesus himself. Let me give you an example. Ephesians 2, uh, where Paul writes, and it sounds a lot like what Peter says. We are built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. Christ Jesus himself being the singular cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple into the Lord. In him, you are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. This is what a church looks like. This is what a community group looks like. This is what a Christian company looks like where, where the leadership is Christian. This is what... Uh, a, any organization that, that, is, that is influenced by Christians can look like built together into a dwelling place for God. By the, the purpose of the building is that where God can live somewhere on earth. And with, it's, it's a human building. Um, <clears throat> and then Jesus is the cornerstone. So I, I pulled up a couple pictures of ancient cornerstones because this is what people would be looking at as, this, as, as they would read this in Turkey. Um, this is a very ancient part of a building that uh, archaeologists have found, and it's, very, it's likely that they've reconstructed some of this, but nevertheless, these would have been the stones that were laying around this, and they said that was the cornerstone. And so we don't know. I'm not, I just want you to know that they may not have found it this way, but this is definitely how it would have looked. And you see how different the cornerstone is. And it's, it's at the corner, and, and it's, it's anchored down into, into bedrock. You can even see where the dirt was uh, and they had, they had anchored this, this stone. This is the stone right here. And uh, let's do another one. This one's really fascinating. You can go online and see all kinds of cornerstones. And uh, we didn't take this picture, but I've actually been at this site. And what was fascinating to me about this is the guys are building a wall. It is an ancient wall. But they decide that there's, a, there's the cornerstone they select, because the cornerstone is carefully selected, because it has to have really great edges, and then it has to, have re it has to be really strong. Uh, because the edges are about what happens to the building if the edges are off. And strong has, has what happens to the building if the cornerstone collapses. This cornerstone is a sarcophagus. Uh, this, is, this is where human bones, human bodies would be put so that their bones could... Uh, it's another story, but it's a sarcophagus. And so I just found that fascinating because when we do think of Jesus, we think of the tomb and we think of his life and death. And this sarcophagus has an opening in it, like, you know, Jesus burst it out. So I just really like this picture that he's, uh, he's not in there, but this is him, uh, the cornerstone uh, of his church. And the cornerstone is so important because it's the primary puzzle piece of the 3D uh, puzzles. So you go all the way back to the Old Testament. Isaiah, then Jesus quotes Isaiah, Peter quotes Isaiah, Paul quotes Isaiah, uh, the Psalms, David writes this. All of them said that Yahweh himself was going to select the cornerstone because Yahweh is the master builder of his church. And he's going to select the cornerstone and he's going to set a stone, it says, in Zion. Now Zion is just another name for Jerusalem, but it's also a name for God's people. He's going to set a stone in Zion. So when you set a stone, it means that's the first part of the building, on the foundation, on the rock, and then everything else is going to be built upon that. But then, as the Old Testament predicted this cornerstone, it predicted something else that's really unusual, that the stone that Yahweh had selected is going to be rejected by the builders of religion. Psalm 118, Israel sings this song, and they don't even know what it means. Even to this day, they don't know what it means. The stone the builders rejected has become 
the cornerstone. It doesn't matter that the builders rejected it because God's actually the builder, but the people who thought they were the builders rejected this cornerstone, and, it's, it's, and Jesus comes along, and he quotes this psalm, and he takes it further in Matthew 21. You can read it where it's kind of like he's saying, hey, haven't you read in scriptures the stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone? And then he's alluding to the fact that he is the cornerstone that they are supposed to be building on instead of opposing him at every turn and then eventually arresting him and killing him. And Jesus is saying to that, every, we've been singing for centuries that the stone would be rejected and now you're rejecting me. It's happening right now. But the religious leaders did not appreciate this uneducated from northern Israel, not from Jerusalem, uh, Galilean, you know how they can be, from Nazareth, whoever heard of Nazareth. Rabbi is calling himself the stone that we've been looking for. And they, they, they weren't real happy about that. But nevertheless, it didn't, didn't water down the truth. Verse five, you like living stones, are being built into a a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood. Uh, The scripture says, I lay in stone, uh, and then then verse seven, to those who believe, the stone is precious. But to those who don't believe, the stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone, and a stone that causes people to stumble, and a rock that makes them fall. So according to Peter and Paul and Jesus, we are the building materials of God's ideal church with God being the cornerstone. So the, God's ideal church isn't a physical building that you could drive by and go, there's a church. See, it has a cross on it. It's obviously a church. No. It's the, the churches we go to are just buildings. They're not, even like, they're not even like buildings where you aren't supposed to, the children aren't supposed to raise their voices. They're not buildings where you have to dress up in order to walk into. They're just buildings. They're bricks and mortar. They're just buildings. Even the front area where it's like, oh, no, that's the holy area, you know. And, and boy, religion has really messed this up because we walk into these where it's all quiet and reverent, whatever, and God's going, hey, my, finally, this building has been really empty without the church here. And then we join and we create a church. Like we, wherever we join, we become like a pop-up church. Wherever we join, whether we're at a restaurant, whether we're at our, in our living room, where Jesus said, if just two or three of you are gathered, you become uh, the temple, the temple. And you might, have, you might have heard a dietitian or a trainer say, now remember, your body is your temple. And okay, I get what they're saying, but the Bible says when we gather, it's the temple. There's no one brick churches. We're all a bunch of bricks that gather to be uh, where, uh, a place where in the middle of us, in the midst of us, the Bible says, I love that, in the midst of us, God can abide. And that's why in so many cases in the early church, they all moved in together because they, they, they loved the feeling of being together with God's presence right there in their kitchen. And they didn't love it when they all went away. And also it was really cool because in the early church, they were banished from the temple eventually after the book of Acts. They couldn't go have temple fellowship. They were banished from synagogue, and that was their whole community met in synagogue. And, and then the, the, those that weren't Jew, Jewish, they basically banished themselves from the temples they used to go to where all this really evil pagan stuff had been going on, so they're not gonna take their kids there, but then they become very lonely. And so God's presence then becomes the place where they all gather and, and they celebrate him, and then that's where a lot of cool stuff happens. That's where miracles happen. That's where lives come together. Uh, and whether it's two gathering or 2,000 gathering, when we gather, we become 
church. And church is powerful for conversation and powerful for encouragement and powerful for worship and powerful for repentance and powerful for soul care and powerful for uh, preparing us to, to go and minister to those that are so hurting and even powerful to welcome the hurting in if they want to come into our meetings. We intentionally create space for for people that we might not have even hung out with before, but now, because it's so awesome, we don't want to keep it away from anyone, and that's why we gather. There's nothing better than gathering. So I would say a couple of things here, uh, and both of them are going to sound a little preachy, but bear with me because I think it needs to be said. Number one, when Christians gather, could we please talk about Christ a little more? Yes? No? No? You're like, yeah, go Raiders. No, that's what I mean. <laughs> when Christians gather, we don't, I'm tired of talking about Donald Trump. And I can't fix that. And I'm tired of talking about all, other, and then there's stuff we do need to talk about, like our next trip to Sonoma County. And, and, but when we gather, what feeds our souls is conversations about Jesus, what he's done for us, what he's done for us in the past, what he's doing for us right now. But you know what's weird? I get together with Christians who never bring up Jesus. I'm talking about pastors. What is our problem? We need to bust the seal on that one. And just start talking more about the, the one who is precious to us. That is, if he is precious to us. Mm, interesting that. Because if something's precious to you, you talk about it. So when we get together, let's have conversations that are energizing. It doesn't mean that every single thing you talk about has to be the Lord Jesus. But definitely broach the subject for Pete's sake. Especially when you're with other Christians. And you know what else? Talk a little bit loud so that the people at the next table can hear you. And then tip generously. Also, your testimony is attached to the tip. So that was my first preachy little thing. Is that okay that I preach at you guys? All right. Well, then change your lives. Get on it. Let's go. Come on. All right. Here's the second one. And this is for the people that are watching online. You ready? I'm going to get a little preachy. We are gathered in five locations this weekend. And if you were within driving distance of one of those locations and you chose to stay home, I hope it was for good reason. Because you missed something very important. You're getting excellent teaching here. I got to quit talking like that because people don't know me think, he's got a problem. Uh, I do have problems, but that's not one of them. Anyway, why, why didn't you join us? Um, I have a suggestion. Next weekend, just pull anything on. You, you should see how some of the people are dressed here. You don't even have to comb, have to comb your hair. You don't. Pull something on and come on over to one of our five campuses. And you could do this like live. And you could be here and you could, you could fellowship. There's nothing like what's happening in these rooms. And uh, I, I get it. Like you're traveling on business or whatever. But if you're constantly just staying home when you could have come. And your children, like, I get it. It's a lot easier to stay home. But do we always do what's easier? What kind of people have we become? Get in the car. Bring your kids over here. There's children and there's teenagers in these buildings that are having the most amazing Christian fellowship. And guess what? That's not fellowship they're getting during the week. So anyway, end of little sermonette. Hope that's okay. Um, if it's not, deal with it. All right. 
Because here's the deal. We are not a church unless we gather. We are not a church unless we gather. All right, let's keep thinking about ourselves as rocks and stones because my time's gonna run out and I have just so many things that I sat with this week that were just powerful to me. Uh, so let, think of yourself as a rock or a stone. Think of yourself and, and you're a stone and you were quarried. You're not just a rock that, uh, because you're quarried because you are going to be a building block for a building God has, uh, ha- is constructing. So you're a stone. Are you a stone? Are you thinking of yourself that way? Okay, now you're a living stone, but you're a stone. And thinking of himself as a rock would not have been difficult for Simon Peter since Jesus basically gave him his Christian name. He said, Simon, that sounds good, but I think of you more as, as Petros. I think of you more as Kephas. I think of you more as rock, rocky. You're a rock. You're going to be a rock. And when Peter, when he gave Peter that name, Peter was anything but a rock. And so even, you know, the, the sons of thunder that were his business partners, they were like, I don't think Jesus knows this guy very well. But Jesus called out what he saw in him, just like he called out what he sees in us. So Peter the Rock now starts growing into his new Christian name, and 30 years later, he writes this to us, and you know what he says to us? He doesn't say in verse five, oh, by the way, I wanna remind you, I'm the rock. What does he say in verse five? What does he say? Who's the rocks? You're the rocks, he says. Whoever's reading this, you could be a living stone in the building you could go out during the week and you could stand for Jesus, sometimes completely on your own. And then you could gather on the weekend and in your community group and you could become the temple of God and you could get recharged. That could be the rhythm of your life, which is such a healthy rhythm, especially in this day and age. So there's this thing called standing stones, and, 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 and as we've thrown this out, a lot of people have never heard of this, and if you go to the Middle East, uh, hopefully at some point you learn this, because all over the Middle East are scattered these standing stones, and people, uh, they say, oh, this, something happened here because there is a standing stone, and the standing stone is not like a, a steel where there's all this writing on it that tells you what happened. A standing stone is just a quarried stone that's been standing there for centuries. So let me give you a picture of stand, the standing stones at Tel Gezer. Uh, these, these, when you walk by here, you think, oh, this, there must have been a building here. There was never a building here. These, uh, these rocks were quarried. Uh, that's what's fascinating, too, because you're not that impressed when you come by. Uh, but then when somebody will tell you what it is, the rocks themselves were quarried uh, three miles away and drug here 3,500 years ago. And some of them weigh 25 tons. So there's quite a bit of effort going on here. And they were once like, you know, it's 3,500 3, years of erosion, and, and some of them were buried, and they've, they've, they've stood them back up. But nevertheless, uh, they were once a monument to something God did in this location. And that's what a standing stone is. You, 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 the first people to erect it say, no one will ever forget what happened here. And then within one generation, people are going, what, what are those for? Could we take those down? You know, and they're like, what? And so then they have a meeting and they tell everybody the next generation what happened. And then you picnic there with your grandkids and you tell them what happened. And you take your friends there, you take your company there. You go, hey, the same thing that happened here could happen in our company. That's called a standing stone. So these are huge. Some of the standing stones in the Bible are, are uh, somewhat different. There's a standing stone. We don't know, we, we, we don't know where it is because it, it was Jacob's standing stone in Genesis where he has this, remember he lays his head down on this rock and then he has this vision of a stairway to heaven and they write a song about it later, but 
he has it, and, and so he wakes up the next day, and he renames the location. Like, from then on, the location was known as this other name, and, uh, and he takes the, the rock which he had slipped his head on, and he, he said, this is, this is it, this is, and he creates a standing stone. Um, uh, Jacob, or Joseph, we talk, uh, Joseph, when they crossed, the, the children of Israel crossed the Jordan River at flood stage, and, they, and then they all said, how are we going to cross? And God said to, jo- to Joshua, just tell the leaders to go down and wade into the water like they're just going to cross, and then watch what happens. And so the leaders went, all right. And they went down, and they took their most valuable piece of furniture, the Ark of the Covenant, and walked right into a river at flood stage, and then the water stops way upstream. And it ends up being uh, the children of Israel walk into the promised land on dry ground as confirmation to them that this is God's promise for them because there was no bridge. There was no way to get across. And you're talking about men, women, children, old people, cattle, and they're kind of tired. They've been walking for 40 years in the wilderness. And so they just, they walk into the promised land and then, and then they get to the other side and Joshua goes, we gotta, we gotta set up standing stones here. And so he sends the leaders of the 12 clans of Israel down into the riverbed Back to go back, and the water, they're like, when's the water coming, you know? And they go back, and they're there to grab the largest standing stone that one man could carry, the largest stone from the riverbed, and they, they create a, a standing monument. To what? God gave us this land. God did miraculously provided for us. God did this. And then the next generation, the next generation, the next generation. The idea is that mom, grandpa, aunts, and uncles pass it down. And you know, I think standing stones are a great idea even today. Whether you actually set up a stone or not, or whether you just have these locations that are places where God spoke to you, God did something, your life pivoted uh, and was never the same, uh, and you go back there either by yourself to contemplate that and to just slow down long enough to sit and look at it for a little bit, or you actually take people with you that are special to you and say, I want to take you somewhere where there's a really great thing that happened in my life. Let me give you a couple of examples, and then I'm going to challenge you to write down where your standing stone places are that you're going to return to before the end of the year, at least one of them. All right, so one standing stone for me isn't a stone at all. It's a tree. It's a huge redwood tree. It's probably 15 stories um, tall. This is the exact tree, and that's me at my age standing there. But when I first stood at this tree and asked God what in the world I was doing in California instead of Colorado, I was 17 years old. And so this tree stands as a monument that I've been going to since I was 17 years old to talk to God. Now, I don't go to talk to the tree. Uh, There probably are some in Santa Cruz County that talk to this tree and know his name. Uh, I don't. I, I think I go and I think of the one who made this tree. And I think of the permanence of this tree because it's survived fires, it's survived all kinds of stuff. And then I sit there and think about God's permanence in my life and God's direction in my life. So this is the spot where I said, God, I, I hope this is where you wanted me. I'm, now I'm in Santa Cruz. I don't know anybody, um, but here I am. And this is the spot where I came back and said, I met this girl, and I talked to the tree. And, you know, if somebody came down there, they're like, he's lost it. But um, I would sit there sometimes and just read my Bible, and there was just something about this place. This is a place where I, uh, I said, I've got a job offer in a place called Dublin. I don't know where Dublin is. Um, should I go there? And so this is a very special, and since it's 60 miles from here, I do return to this place. And I've taken my children to say, I, I want to tell you about how I was as a teenager and what God, how God can speak to you and to your heart. Okay. So this is the only picture I have of any of my standing stones. I have others, though. I've lived in the Tri-Valley for almost 40 years now. And 
Um, so like that first home that Brenda and I came home to in Pleasanton, we rented this house and this guy that felt sorry for us, so he cut the rent in half. And so we lived in this cute little house in Highland Oaks. And it was great, we came home as newlyweds, but we suffered great grief there as well as great joy, you know. Uh, our great joy, we brought Andrew home to that home, our, our firstborn, but our great grief was before Andrew, Andrew was born, we lost a child in that home. And uh, so there's both, you know. And, but, but, that, but I never am in that part of Pleasanton, but what I take five minutes and drive by the house, and sometimes I'll park across the street and I'll just talk to God about that stage in our life. Or, or the home in Livermore where Cornerstone was launched, or, 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 or the, the Shrine Hall where Cornerstone had its first Sunday, and every Sunday after that for like 11 years where we didn't need an auditorium. Somehow we lived, we grew to be 2,000 people without owning an auditorium. And um, that's crazy. That we were the auditorium. We were the church. And when we gathered in that shrine hall and we mopped the floor from the uh, cocktail night the night before and, um, and, 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 and kind of, it just, within minutes, that room became church. And God worked miracles in that place. So then, then God gave us this place, and, and, and uh, if you're online, I'm talking about the, the Livermore building, and, and we, we, so we said, well, the 580 is like the Jordan, and so we all walked across the bridge, the overpass, just like the children, we thought, we're the children of Israel, you know, it was just so awesome, and we walked in here, and everybody just started celebrating, and we sang for about an hour, and then I preached for a couple hours, maybe three, I don't know. But, but this place then became a standing stone to so many people who, who have given their hearts over to Christ in this room or in, in these other rooms. So this building is your standing stone. Maybe it's not yet, but it's going to be because you're going to write in your Bible a month from now, I gave my heart over to Jesus Christ, Livermore, California, and you're going to... And you're going to hope that nothing ever happens to this room or this building because it becomes so special to you. Are you so you're tracking with me, right? All right. If you're not, what's wrong with you? <laughs> what are your standing stone places? I want you to write one of them down. I literally say, it's this place, or, uh, or maybe there's two or three. That's great about mine, but those are mine. What are yours? Because I want you to carve out time to go visit one of those standing stones. If it's nearby, that'll be easier, but I literally, if there's one that's super important to you that's in another state or in another location, and there's any way to get there, God will meet you there. God always meets us in those places. There are holy places. What's interesting is your holy place and my holy place are different. I know if I really am confused, I, like, I got a one-hour drive to Scotts Valley, California, and I can sit under a tree and usually sort things out. That is very special. But if I'm too busy to do that, I'm an idiot. That's too busy. Find your standing stone. Go there alone or to take someone with you. You know, after we die, they put up a standing stone with our name on it, and then we're six feet under, and everyone else is telling our stories. I think it would be a shame if that would be when all your stories come out. 
Why don't you take some people when you're still alive to where your stones are? That headstone, that's their stone. That's where they come to cry. You're not even here anymore. But your stone is, is, is just such a, such a powerful, powerful thing. All right, one more thought, and then we're going to go. When uh, Peter talked about stones, uh, he was there that day when Jesus said, that, where they, they said to him, Rabbi! Tell your followers to shut up because they were crying, Hosanna, save us, right outside of Jerusalem. And, and Jesus turned to these leaders, and I don't know if he was laughing or whatever, but he just said, hey, I picture him just going, you guys, you can't stop what's happening here. A true movement of the people, especially one that's anointed by God, you can't stop it. And, and, and he just said, if they are quiet, the very rocks will cry out. So these standing stones are like rocks that cry out. Now, Peter, he's in Rome now, so he can't go back to those places that Jesus took him to. He's soon going to be martyred, executed by the Roman government. So his standing stones become people that he's met all over the empire that are like the testimony of God being declared in Philippi or in Thessalonica or in different places. His standing stones are human beings, not um, not things for, that were even something happening to him, but it's where things are happening to them in real time. And let me just give you a couple of quick examples of some of Cornerstone's standing stones out there. Because Cornerstone has standing stones all over the East Bay. Now, we have these big ones, these five campuses, and then we have these smaller ones, our, our 400 community groups. But then we have individual people that are in schools and and businesses and neighborhoods that in some, some cases are pretty much standing alone, but they're standing so tall that it's getting people's attention and they're doing such a good job that they're a magnet. Uh, and, and so let me just give you a couple examples. Out in Brentwood, we have uh, uh, Brian and Rebecca Hart, this family who have just started adopting girls that nobody else seemed to want. And so now they have five daughters and that's their family. And they have fostered so many more. And so in East Contra Costa County, among Christians as well as those that are just good people in the foster care community or CASA or what, they know the hearts. And they know they go to Cornerstone and they know they're Christian. And the hearts stand as a standing stone. And it's, what, what is their message? God loves the orphan. God loves the person that no one else wants. God loves girls that are, could be out there on the streets right? So it's so powerful. I was talking to our youth, youth uh, team, uh, our middle school group, uh, leaders, and I said, I'm, I'm going to preach this. Tell me about it. And they go, oh, and they all agreed. Mariana Carmone. Mariana Carmone. And I go, I don't know her. They go, oh, she's legendary. They, they say she just is a, she's a freshman now at Dublin High, but she was at Fallon Middle School. And she, at Fallon Middle School, every religion in the world is represented. But somehow Mariana Carmone was part of starting a Christian club there where before she left, she was testifying about Jesus to one in 10 students at Fallon who were coming to her meetings. One in 10 at Fallon have heard the gospel because of Mariana Carmoni. And she doesn't even have a driver's license yet. I was thinking about Jehan in Danville. Jehan in our Danville con congregation. Now, on the, week, on, the, on the weekends, Jehan is one of the stones that makes Danville happen. But during the week, 
as soon as the fire started raging in, in north, in, up in the north, he just got in his car. He didn't ask anybody, you know, for official cornerstone, what's our, he just figured he was official cornerstone. And he got in the car and he started assessing and he just started going back and forth and taking people, okay, here's what they need now. Okay, well, wait, two days ago they said they needed this, but now they need this. Well, here's what, and uh, all, all five of our congregations now are totally active. I mean, you could go and help us or you could give to help us, but you have, you've given $80,000, because, because you're, you want to fuel that. But you know what? What's really cool is I think your next step with Jesus is going to be, yeah, give more, but also start, start serving more. And maybe that particular uh, thing won't be your... But we've got guys in Houston. that They just flew to Houston. And they're, they're still helping out down there. I just got a video from a pastor in Houston that we'll show you at some point. It's powerful. Lone Star Cowboy Church in Houston said, thank you, Cornerstone. Here's what your money did. Uh, so... I'm just saying, um, in the old days, everyone knew the stories. Those days are over. America is not Christian anymore, especially the Bay Area. So we have to stand as the stones, in some cases in isolation. And we have to bravely say, here's what God is about, and here's what Jesus is about. And you may think that, that a Christian is this angry person who hates gay people or something. I don't know. I've been, maybe you've been stereotyped. But the best way to attack a stereotype is by being different. And, you know, this is where we stand. This, this is what the Bible says, and this is who we are. And the number one thing we communicate is the love of Christ for his world. And we live in a broken world, but you know what? If enough of us are standing and then enough of us are gathering during the week and on the weekends, we really will repair the fabric of the East Bay. It really can happen. Groups smaller than us in history have changed history. Read your history. You don't need 10,000 people to change history. We have 10,000 people, but groups smaller than us have done great things, and you're gonna do great things well as you take your next step with Jesus. Father, we come to you now saying thank you so much for calling Peter the rock before anyone else saw it, and thank you so much for choosing me Thank you for choosing the people in this congregation to be your representation in thousands of workplaces in the Bay Area. Father God, we're going to work on the things we can fix, and you can fix a lot of things, and we're going to focus on action instead of words. Father God, we pray that those of us that are way too much time on Facebook and the news and Twitter, help us to see... Um, most of that is wasted time. Most of it is. And help us to, to not waste our time because time is the most valuable thing we have. Jesus, be our cornerstone now, we pray. In Christ's name, amen. Amen. All right, Lord bless you guys.